He's Pittsburgh born and we like him that way. What an incredible Cinderella story. This unknown comes out of nowhere. This is the Adam Crowley Show. Cinderella boy. Uh. On 970 ESPN and now on 106.3 FM. The Eagles won the Super Bowl, haven't you heard? Of course you have. Philadelphia fans have been basking in the glory of their first such title for the last two months. Some have handled it better than others. For example, the Eagles fans that I saw during the parade were eating horse poop. The best thing that Philadelphia has going for it, at least in my estimation, is that it's long been in the shadow of Pittsburgh in terms of sports success. Sure, the Phillies won in 08, but... Their disastrous rebuild has made that a distant memory. The Flyers haven't won since 1975. The 76ers haven't won since 1983. And since 75, the Pirates have won the World Series once. The Steelers have four championships, and the Penguins have five. Things are changing, though, in the city of brotherly love. The Eagles won the Super Bowl without their starting quarterback, and I think reasonable folks can assume that they'll be legit contenders as long as Wentz is in the fold. Villanova now has a pair of championships in the last three seasons. Jay Wright's turned that university into a blue blood. Philly fans have got to be feeling themselves. The more success they have, the more we'll have to put up with crap like Michael Kendrick in the NBC hockey booth. It's up to the Penguins now to wound Philly's pride a little bit. It's up to Sidney Crosby and co. to shut them up. The Penguins are hockey royalty. The Flyers, they're scum. Pens better keep it that way. Because Philly doesn't need anything else to celebrate. You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. Or you can join the cast of dozens and follow me on Twitter at underscore Adam Crowley. Rob Rossi joins us in studio today. Rossi, I'm fired up, man. I um, I like to appear on any show that will uh, have a host that allows me to give him two kind of crotch shots and then a wedgie. Yeah, the first one did not count because yes. it didn't get posted on the interwebs but it hurt just the yes. same well you didn't know i was going to do it i it's, didn't it's a key to a good crotch shot not if, knowing it's t- not knowing it's coming yes if you don't know what we're talking about check out the cheese tees uh, on twitter as i mentioned at underscore Although, adam crowley would it be worse if you knew it was coming do you want to know like i don't think i want to know if somebody's going to tag me do you want to know the day you're going to die or not i wouldn't mind knowing the day knowing how would be a bummer Yes. I'd like to know the day and how everybody else is going to die. You want that kind of power. I I think I'd have a good run as a, uh, you know, wholly terrible dictator. Like, I'd have a six-month run where a lot of damage was done, but I would expect to be overthrown at some point. Rossi was doing his NHL awards prior to the show. Right, which you, was like a giant crotch shot over and over again. I was going to say, it felt like you had a lot of power there. Um, it does feel like I will, I will say this. I can't. So first of all, to the audience, I cannot, I am uh, prohibited from revealing my ballot because this year, if people don't know, and I've been in favor of this for a long time, all ballots, all voting members are going to have their ballots publicly revealed after the NHL award show. If we did this before the NHL award show, there'd be 15 people not surprised at the NHL award show. And we can't, deny those 15 people that watch the awards show they're a surprise so but they I, uh they putting that on the golf channel this year Rossi. i believe they are or um i don't know if there's a channel where they could put that 
that would be worth it. Uh, maybe like uh, picture in picture with some nudes. Yeah, no, porn's much more exciting than the NHL awards. Hundred uh, percent. The uh, maybe like HBO seventeen, like a special one day only version of HBO, twenty four seven. Celebrities you can't remember and NHL hockey stars. This is a great year for it, though. It is. Tough year. Very tough. So, uh, full disclosure, I will say this. It was my seventh and final MVP grouping. Like, I I actually walked in here with one and then changed it again. So, I had said to myself, before I appear on this award-winning masterpiece, I'm going to file this thing and detoxify my life with it. So, it's done. Who was in your conversation for the Hart Trophy? I don't need you to g- give me your your guys if you don't um, want to, but who's in who's in that group at the end? The the five. Yeah, you don't even know. I'll put it to you this: you don't well, even I don't want to give too much away. I uh, I'll say this: two guys made it in on the drive over. Like there were two guys that were outside of my top five that ended up making it in, and the guy I gave my number one vote. So we make five selections. That guy was not number one as of this morning. So it's been a, it's been a, and I, I will say at one point, Adam, I think there were nine guys that I had at some point in the top five, and that could have been ten, eleven, or twelve. I just. I cut some people off that probably could have been in it. Um, I will say this. uh, Connor McDavid is not in my top five and was never amongst the group that would be in. You're going to get slaughtered for that. Well, but I'm right. I think you're right, too. The people that are doing that, and I'm worried. I really am worried about this. Uh, One of the days that I filled in for you, I had uh, Greg Wazinski on to talk about this. I think he and I are both of the belief that because the awards are going to be made public, the ballots, that Connor McDavid will probably be a finalist this year because there are going to be a lot of Canadians that don't want to be seen as not voting for him. I can't see why that would not be the case. Yeah, well, they're they're gutless well, jerks. Is, is so. Con Smythe is the Con Smythe always publicized afterwards? Pa- Con Smythe has never been published. Never been. So I voted on the Con Smythe three times. I. I uh, recused myself last year going in. So I guess I should explain this. Uh, I am a, I'm the local chapter chair of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. I'm also the Eastern Conference rep and a member of the executive committee. So last year, as uh, the way the Con Smythe is usually handled, you get three voters from each market that's participating. And then I think we normally do another eight voters or nine. We, we'd like to have an odd number. Last year, I recused myself because going in, I knew that it was going to very likely be Evgeny Malkin or Sidney Crosby. I did not want to put Malkin in the position of somebody saying he won a close vote because his biographer voted for him. Yeah. So I recused myself. But we only had 15 voters last year. And we keep the, the NHL does not want us making that public. But I will say last year for the first time, Adam, we had, uh, at the risk of boring people completely to death in the opening segment, um, we did open it up so that it wasn't just like a bunch of Canadians. We had, I think we had two European voters among the 15. So it was, you know, it was more fair than a U.S. election. That's Rob Rossi. I'm Adam Crowley, 412-922-2874, the number to call. You wrote a column for the Trib last week talking about Cupper bust for the Penguins. I'm interested in what Penguins fans would consider a success this year. For me... 
coming in, did I want to see him win the Stanley Cup? Well, hell yeah. I think all Penguins fans want to see that. Now, I need to see them beat the Flyers. I'll feel pretty bad about it if they don't beat the Flyers. Just because they're the Flyers, just because it was 2012 the last time. It was a disgrace. It was the worst hockey series I've ever seen. A lot of people on the NHL Network last night were talking about how much they loved it. We'll get to that coming up in a little bit here on the show. But for me, you beat the Flyers and you flame out. I'm okay with it. I think for Penguin fans, it would be very hard to deal with a loss to the Flyers or a loss in round two to the Capitals. I think they're so conditioned to have their noses in the air when it comes to the Capitals. So I would argue if you're a Penguin fan, this is all gravy starting Wednesday night. They've won it two years in a row. They've won three in the last nine or seven or whatever it is. Um, They've been to five. What is this? They've been to five conference finals during the Crosby Malkin era. I mean, this has, I mean, I don't want to go so far as to say anything that happens the rest of Sid's career is gravy, but this is pretty good. You know what, Rob? I was driving in two years ago to do the Penguins report, which I used to do after all the Penguins games, and the Penguins were down three games and two to the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I'm thinking, son of a bitch, they're not going to win another one. Mm-hmm. And this blows. And then they won it. And after they won it, I said, it doesn't matter what they do from here on out. Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, they won their second one. They're no longer going to be the Peyton Mannings, the... Atlanta Braves, they're going to have at least achieved what we all thought that they set out to achieve, which was to win multiple cups. Then they won the third. If they lose to the Flyers, I'll be upset because it's Philly, but I'm not going to hold it against them, if that makes sense. Right. I'll say this. It's weird. If you look at the big picture, I wonder what Penguin fans would rather have. I think if I were a betting man, if they don't win it this year, even if they get bounced in round one, I would still put smart money on them winning another two. I don't think they win another one if they were three-peat. I think this is it. I don't think they'll have a whole lot left. I think it's going to be very hard. So would a three-peat historically be enough? Um, I don't know. I think it's going to be very hard to win it this year for them. I do think the draw worked out brilliantly for them. It is the best-case scenario yes. in every term. Right. They got Philly in round one. That's the best matchup. The two teams they always beat are in round two. One right. of them is going to beat Jersey, the other one. Jersey went to the other bracket, which is a tough matchup for them. And there's a chance Jersey can beat Tampa in that opening round. And there's a real good chance Boston and Toronto are going to just exhaust one another. And I think Boston is the team from that side that I think the Penguins would least want to face. I think it's a team the Penguins would most want to face, like knowing the guys in that room. Oh, I think boy. Competitive. Oh, boy. I knew Rossi was going to hit me over the head well, with that one at some right, point during right. the show. I just think, first of all, people talk about Crosby and Malkin, right, and Latang as this group. And, the, you know, we, we're hearing the 2012 stories, but the one that bothers them is 2013 against the Bruins because they got swept and they felt that was a team that was going to win it all. Um, they had about a three-year run there where injuries sort of sidetracked two of their really good teams. That year, they didn't. Um, I think those guys would like another crack at Boston. But look, if you're a Penguin fan, if you can get it to line up to be Philadelphia, Washington, Boston, that's about as fun a playoff three rounds en route to the final as you can have. In terms of the hatred? Yes. Okay, 100%. Yes. 
Columbus, even if they slid in there, not quite as much as Washington, but there's some there's some poo that's stirring up in there. Yeah, I think Columbus. I always think Columbus has sort of what we have with Pitt and what Pitt has with Penn State. We being West Virginia guys, like uh, one side wants that rivalry to matter a lot more yes. than the other. But um, here's the thing: I think Columbus is going to beat Washington. I wouldn't be surprised by that and at all. Grubauer starting game one. Did you see that? Well, that's the right call. He's the it better is. goalie. Um, I, I can't remember, Adam, the last time I looked at the playoff field as a whole and thought, boy, this team could win it, this team could win it. There's a lot of teams. Like I, There's 16 teams in the playoffs. I could make a case right now for 10 of them to get to the Stanley Cup final. I'm guessing Philly's not one of those teams. No. Ha! Huh. I, I I don't think Philadelphia has much of a chance in this series to win the series. I don't think they're good, Rob. They've got good players at uh, on some on some levels. I mean, they've got Claude Giroux who's having the best season of his career as he's moved to left wing. Couture having the best series of or the best season of his career. Nolan Patrick's young and good. Uh, Provorov sure and Goss's pair are good. I think he's pretty good. I think he's okay. I think he played. In the second half of the season, like they wanted him to play all season He's long. Very, I'll say this. Uh, I would take Heischer over him every day of the week and 17 times. I don't think that's close. I agree with that. But I will say this. I am always skeptical of teams that get into the playoffs primarily because they had one great stretch of like undefeated play. If you look historically, those teams don't last very long. They're 42-40, and 40, Rob. They're just yeah. an average team. Well, I don't know that the Penguins have been much better than average this year. I mean, look, I uh, I will say this to give a little hint to my MVP ballot. Uh, I suspect Evgeny Malkin won't make it onto a lot of ballots. Evgeny Malkin had an eight-week stretch where he was ungodly, and that's the reason the Penguins aren't sitting at home right now. You are right about that, and a lot of people are going to give Taylor Hall the Hart Trophy, right. and they're going to say he's the reason that New Jersey's in the playoffs. Kenny Malkin's just as much a reason for the right. Penguins. They're both the reason their teams are in the playoffs this year. And uh, look, look just the, the final th- two weeks of the Penguin season, the final, what, uh, 20 days, Adam, he cooled off a little bit. They struggled. They struggled mightily. And there are some real problems with the Penguins. I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons to be pessimistic about a long run. Um, but the Flyers were the best matchup for them. Yeah, and you can start to build momentum with that. You can. Too. A, I, couple, I, a one week in the playoffs can change an entire vibe of a team. It absolutely can. If the Penguins were to roll Philadelphia in four or five games, I think sweeps are really difficult. If they were going to do it in five games and play really well and play well on the back end, build some confidence, not that they need right. confidence, but confidence in knowing how to play the right way, I think that could help them for sure in the upcoming series. We're going to talk about all this over the next three hours. Rob Rossi sitting in the entire show, fired up about that. Coming up next, Bill Meltzer of the Flyers Radio Network and Flyers.com will be joining the program. He'll give us the scuttlebutt on what's going on behind the curtain on the other side of the state. I just said scuttlebutt. I'm like 70 years old. It's the Crowley Show. Americans are always on the move. They're in the car or at the office or working around the house. Americans refuse to sit still. So how do you connect with all those moving targets? Easy with radio. Radio reaches 93% of Americans every week. More than Google, Facebook, and even television. Because, hey, it's time to sit around and watch TV. So when you want to connect with all those constantly moving adults, teens, and millennials, get to iHeartMedia.com and put AMFM Radio to work for your company. You're saying you think you hurt your groin in the cheese teas? 
the knee raise, the second one. You're kidding me. You hit me in the groin, and you hurt your groin. Jeez. It's like Voldemort. Penguins Flyers on Wednesday. That's tomorrow, 7 o'clock. I will be live at Buford's Kitchen right across the street from PPG Paints Arena. Come on by. Grab some beer, baby. Buy me one or six. I'll need them if this series is going to look anything like it did in 2012. I don't think it will, though. Rob Rossi joining me here on the show. We're very pleased now to be joined by Bill Meltzer. He of Flyers.com. Bill, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Uh, my pleasure, Adam. How are you? I'm great, man. You on the west side of the Commonwealth? Uh, not, not, not for games one and two. I'll be there later in the series. You think it goes that far, Bill? Yeah, I, I, well, yeah. I think I, I don't think it'll be a sweep. So we'll, you know, but uh, it, it'll be it'll be a tough series. I'll say that much. Bill, in 2012, the Flyers had 1,300 penalty minutes. I think that tells you how much the game has changed. But apart from that. This year, they've actually had less penalty minutes than the Penguins. Why have the Flyers gone away from the bruising ways of yesteryear? Yeah, and then to underscore your point, this is the first season since, I believe, 1971 that the Flyers haven't had a single player who's hit 100 penalty minutes. Uh, I think that it's you know partially reflective of the way the game as a whole has moved. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the old enforcer roles is much less important than it used to be. Um, Wayne Simmons, who's usually good for 120, 140 penalty minutes of the a year, was not. It was not uh, healthy this whole season, so his penalty minutes were down a little bit. Rodko Gouda served a 10 game suspension at one point. That probably kept him actually under 100 penalty minutes this year. But 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 as a whole, I think the, the Flyers team plays a much more disciplined brand of hockey than past editions have. Uh, this team was actually in the bottom three in terms of least penalized teams in the NHL this year, and that's a you know which I guess was a good thing for this team because they had a hard time killing penalties when they did take them. But I, I think that uh, overall playing you know a more disciplined style is a direction that Dave Haxtell had been wanting them to move in anyway. Has there been much discussion about that gong show in 2012 from the guys who were there then, Bill? There, there, you know, there, there, there certainly was. I mean, there, you know, uh, Sean Couturier was a rookie at the time. Uh, Matt Reed was a rookie at the time. Of course, Claude Giroux was a, was a big part of that series. Uh, Jakob Voracek was in his first year with the team. Wayne Simmons was in his first year with him. So those are the guys that are still there. You know, they, they've commented about how there's a, there's a little bit of a different feel to it this time around. Uh, the rivalry is certainly still there, but, uh, you know, that, that was something that anybody on, on either side of, of that series, uh, or the previous two, you know, because it was, it was the third time, of course, in a short period of time, third time in like four or five years that the Flyers and Penguins have played each other in the playoffs. So you, you build that history and that animosity. You know, that, that, uh, that was a powder keg from even the final couple of regular season meetings. This has, this has definitely a different feel to it, I would say. Hey, Bill, Rob Rossi here. I, re, I, re, I tell people all the time, of all the series I've covered, that was the most miserable. Uh, it was, uh, it felt like three weeks leading up to the gong show, and then everything, the media just got stuck picking up the scraps of all the insanity. But what I remember about that series was we overlooked how awesome Claude Giroux was as a power play quarterback for them. And I think to have a chance to eliminate the Penguins, 
that's going to have to continue to be the case because I, I think to put the Penguins on the power play is to invite disaster. I think the Flyers are going to have to score a lot on this power play. How have they been in terms of drawing penalties and trying to play that out to drawing penalties in the playoffs? Because it's a different feel. It's a different look of a game. Are they going to be able to be that type of team that can get on the power play enough in in this series? The, the Flyers Generally, you know, they were they were one of the they had a you know, in the, towards the higher end in, in power play opportunities uh, this season. You know, it's funny because if you look at the overall numbers, apart from the power play side of it, to me, I'm looking at the five on five side of it, where you know the and a lot of it was skewed toward the early part of the season. But you look at the Penguins being 27th and uh, even strength goals against, and the Flyers actually until about the midpoint of the year were in top two, top three. They ended up finishing. I believe around ninth or tenth, but you know it, it didn't play out that way head to head very much. The Penguins actually got the better of five on five play head to head, but if you look at the overall season numbers, actually the Flyers had the five on five advantage at least in terms of being harder to score on. So I think that you know staying out of the box on the Philadelphia end is crucial. And obviously, you know with the Flyers killing penalties at only about seventy five percent, and the Penguins you know, hurting the Flyers. Of, pretty fair amount when they they played head-to-head on the power play the flyers are going to need some some power play goals in here but i think it actually behooves the flyers to to, at least statistically to keep it a little bit more five on five if they can but certainly you know the the flyers are going to have to score but on the power play and the top unit you know with with Giroux and um, nolan patrick is now playing net front instead of wayne simmons gossip bear borchak and couturier that that group is going to have to come up with some goals you know the flyers are going to win the series or even take it you know, deep into the series. I don't think there's a question of that. Hackstall decided to move Claude Giroux to the left wing on the first line with Couturier. Obviously, it's worked. What went into making that decision, and why has it paid off as well as it has? Well, I think that he and, and Couturier play off of each other very well. You know, you, you, Couturier's lining up at center, Giroux lining up on the left side, but they, they switch places a lot over the course of a shift. You'll, you'll see that a lot of times, you know, Giroux will be behind the net. Couturier will be covering a little bit on the left side. They'll, they'll move around in the offensive zone, so it's more more of a starting position, which is which is that way for for many teams these days. But also, uh, Couturier is such a good two way player. It took a lot of defensive responsibilities off of Giroux. I think it helped him stay healthier and fresher over the course of the season. Uh, it was one of his most consistent seasons of his career. He never went more than back to back games without a point. Um, and early in the year, they had Voracek on that on that top line. He's very much playmaking oriented, and then they moved um, Travis Konechny onto that line, who's more shooting oriented. Um, so Katori's goals went down, but his assists went up. And then late in the season, to try to get a little bit more two way play on the line, and also probably to try to spread the wealth a little bit across you know uh, across more lines. Uh, the last couple games of the season, Konechny was playing in the third line with uh, Valtteri Filippo, and I think you're going to see that open the series as well. Bill, what's the matchup that Hackstall wants in this? Who, who who does he want to pair up against Crosby and against Malkin? Well, if you go historically, um, Sean Couture has typically fared pretty well uh, against Malkin. Over the course of his career, there have been times where Malkin's gotten the better of him. Uh, you know, as he, as he will just about anybody. But uh, for whatever reason, many times when they've matched head-to-head, Couturier has seemed to, to frustrate Malkin a little bit. So I think I think that's where Haxa would like to go. The problem the problem then is, 
you know, how, how do you match up with, with Sidney Crosby's line, especially when you don't have the, the last change? Uh, a little, a couple of games ago, they tried Philpola's line against, uh, against Crosby quite a bit, and, and Crosby pretty well ate that line, ate that line alive. Um, now the flip side of that was that game, that was a couple of games ago in Philadelphia, uh, Nolan Patrick's line did pretty well against Broussard's line, but, uh, it was, it wasn't enough to make up the gap. I, I think that from a, a Penguin side, I, I don't think they mind either matchup. They don't mind going head to head against a rookie, and they certainly don't mind going, matching up against, uh, Philpo's line. So really on, on Philly is where we have a little bit more matchup difficulty, I would say. But I, I would say specific to, specific to Malkin, I think Couturier is where they want to go. Do the Flyers look, uh, from talking to their coaches, talking to their players, do the Flyers look at Matt Murray right now and see a different goaltender than, uh, the guy that they were used to the last year. I, I think so. I mean, I you know you, you can look at the numbers, and, and it, it certainly wasn't uh, you know some of it, of course, is the, the team playing in front of them that always goes into it. But if you look at Mary's numbers, particularly on the road, they weren't very good. Um, you know, uh, they last time they they played against them, you saw they were trying to test them to the glove side, maybe go to the net for some rebounds. Uh, I think they're going to continue to play that way. I think on, I think on both sides of this. And it seems to be an age-old story here in Philly, but I think on both sides of this, you know, there, there's some question marks in goal um, coming into the series. You know, I, uh, Brian Elliott was hurt for the last two months of the season. He got into two games at the end, was not sharp at all, and his first game back looked looked much better in the second, but he also wasn't really tested in the second game. So, you know, I think the Penguins are, are certainly comfortable playing against uh, Brian Elliott. And, of course, we remember back in 2012, neither goalie, neither, neither Brzezgalov nor or Mark Andre Fleury saw much of anything that series, so you know I, it, it could be it could be more high scoring games possibly. We're joined by Bill Meltzer of Flyers.com here on the Crowley Show. Rob Rossi in for the full three hours today as we gear up for Penn's Flyers uh, after that top pair of uh, Provorov and Gostas Bear. I think it does get a little dicey matchup wise for Hackstall with the deep pairs. What do you think the plan is going to be there? Yeah, that's uh, the Flyers are a little bit top heavy on the blue line. That's why you know I did this thing on guys are X factors in the series. You know, Travis Konechny is or Travis Konechny, rather Travis Sanheim is a tremendously talented player, but he's a rookie and he had your typical rookie ups and downs. He had he had a goal in the last game in Pittsburgh. I thought he played a pretty good game that day, but still, it's his first Stanley Cup experience. You know, he, he's had some ups and downs when he doesn't have the puck on his stick. So there's a guy who they're going to. They're going to go after, you know, no question. They'll try to bring four checking pressure on him. The third pairing with uh, Brandon Manning and, and Radko Gudis has been, uh, you know, struggled, I'd say, for most of the final month of the season. There, There is a potential matchup that can be exploited where, where you end up with Philadelphia pinned in their own zone, taking taking icings, you know, unable to clear the puck. And I, I, the Penguins just live off of that. I, I think there are, you know, there's some vulnerabilities. There. Although, I mean, honestly, I, I think you could say the same thing as you move down the, the Penguins' blue line depth as well. I don't think the Penguins are as deep on the blue line as they were two years ago either. Last thing here for you, Bill. Who you got in this series? Uh, I would say, you know, just based upon being the two-time champs, the level of playoff experience, I think, I think you have to go with Pittsburgh. Uh, I would say in six games. Really appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. There he goes. Bill Meltzer from Flyers.com. Uh, getting a little insight there from those bastards on the other side of the state. Coming up next, 
before we get back into this playoff series, I do want to talk to Rossi about 2012. It was awful. We'll do that next. It's Crowley Show. If you have Parkinson's disease, you are urgently needed for clinical trials. The Michael J. Fox Foundation will get you started. Get your Parkinson's trial participant pack at michaeljfox.org slash participant pack. It's free and available right now. No, I'm not making fun of Michael J. Fox. Oh, that that's was... disgusting. That no, you we're not making that, fun Rossi. of it. No, it's just oh, a, my gosh. it was just a spot. Oh, my gosh. You... Uh, back to the future again we go. You two, for real. Crowley and Rossi for the Crowley Show here on ESPN Pittsburgh. Rossi in with us until 7 o'clock today. Penguins Flyers 7 o'clock tomorrow. I am amped. How cool would it be if Pittsburgh had an afternoon radio duo they wanted to listen to? Oh, Rossi firing shots. Just just ask. Grab that fan parody, in (laughs) fact, Tom. I want Rossi to hear it. Because I think we accurately portrayed what they do on that station across the street. Uh, ruin coaching searches for Pitt. Sports Radio 937. Our top story, the Pittsburgh Pirates are going to win everything and Pitt is the greatest program ever. This update brought to you by Bowser. That's the power of Bowser. is the number to call. You can tweet us on our fan text line, although we never get to it. Today's topic, if you go to the Pirates game, are you going to hell? Give me a ring. We'll go to Paul in Blonox first here on the show. Hey, Mosey, I'll tell you there, I'm not going to put another penny in that nutting's pocket. That guy, he's dead to me, Mosey. Thanks for the call, Paul. We'll go to Jimmy now in Uniontown. Hey, Mosey, uh, thanks for taking my call. You know, for me, it's all about going down PNC and creating memories with the kids. That's what it's all about. That's what my dad did to me, and I'm going to continue to do that. Thanks. Thanks, Jimmy. Great point there. Coming up next, we've got 20 minutes of commercials. We'll hear from Jim Rome, and then 20 more minutes of commercials. It's 93.7 The Fan. Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan. Devin, next up on the Crowley Show. (laughs) Man. Play that every day, and please, would you just do me a favor, Adam? This is all I called in for. Make another one. Oh, there'll be more. There'll be more for sure. There'll definitely be more, Devin. Like uh, one of the blowhards over there, like, and you know, I think uh, what's really going on is uh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, are you talking about Zeiss? <laughs> Look, I love Zeiss. I love that Zeiss. That must have been a good Zeiss well, well, thing. I'm just saying. Devin, I, you know, I've covered sports in town for 40 years, and I. I just, I... I love Ben Roethlisberger. I don't know if I agree with you. That's just not the way it is. Uh, Uh, It's a little bit over there. Uh, Yeah, you know, stuff is terrible. You are the man, Devin. Thanks for the call. 412-922-2874. I like Zeiss. He's a nice guy, but... uh, Pirates won today. 8-3. to Give me a ring. 2012 was an embarrassment, by the way. Embarrassment. You covered it. 
I was a I fan. Get... I was in college. Oh, my. Uh, I drank heavily uh, the entirety of that series. You're 100% right, Rossi, when you talk about the preamble to this playoff series. I mean, there was a there was a slow build uh, where the Penguins couldn't beat them. It was, uh, it was a total gong show prior to the actual gong show. So people forget that year. Um, the Penguins team dramatically changed after Sidney Crosby returned the second time. They really became a team that offensively was overwhelming. He came back late in the season. A game in New York, the Penguins looked sensational. Uh, they went to New Jersey, and it was a tight checking game. The next day, back-to-back games, they played in Philadelphia. They, I think they took a 2 nothing lead into the third period, and then the Flyers did what the Flyers did back then. And the Penguins lost their minds, and they were never able to recover against the Flyers. And I remember talking to Josh Owey, who was working with me at the Trib at the time, covered the Penguins together, and I remember sitting down after the regular season. The Penguins had played the Flyers twice in Pittsburgh over the final 10 days. The first game was the game where uh, Tony Amani and, uh, oh, I can't think of his name now. He's the, the coach in Nashville. Uh, Peter Laviolette were jawing at each other from the benches. The next game, the Penguins played terribly, but it was the regular season finale. They knew they were playing in the playoffs. Malkin scored his 50th goal. He but did. You could tell the Penguins just, they, you could tell they, they had a hiccup against the Flyers. And, you know, Josh and I both believed that year that the Penguins were the best built team. But we were sitting down at an Eaton Park, and I remember we were making our predictions. I said, Flyers in six, but I want to go five. He goes, well, I'm like, Philly's the only team in the league that isn't beaten when they get off the bus against Pittsburgh. And Philly wasn't going to win another series. They weren't going to beat anybody else. The Philadelphia Flyers were going to beat the Penguins that year. They could have played 100 times. The Flyers would have won 85. They just knew how to beat the Penguins. And that's why I'm so dismissive of 2012. This Penguin team is so different. 100%. This Flyer team isn't as brash. That Flyer team just had a confidence about it. But the problem I have with that series, people talk, oh, you know, the the goal. No lead was safe, which made writing about it terrible. There were so many storylines that by game three, we were all spent. Like we like the media was like, we were tapping out. Like we done. We're, we're done. The only good thing about that series was Peter Laviolette started referring to me as West Virginia because I was wearing Hell. this West Virginia. I carried this West Virginia jacket with me because the arena in Philly is so cold. And in Pittsburgh, I would spend the whole day at the arena, so I would always carry this jacket with me to just put over top of me so I didn't catch pneumonia because I'm old and unhealthy. And he would just be like, West Virginia, go. And I'd be like, all right. So, you know. Um, think yeah. about the players yeah. the Flyers had. And think about some of the players the Penguins had. Zach Ronaldo had 46 penalty minutes oh, yeah. in four games. Aaron Asham was in that series. Aaron Asham was in that series. He got suspended for a game. Derek Englin, Cook, James Neal, for all yeah. his scoring prowess, he loved to knee guys in the head. Scotty Hartnell had nine penalty minutes. Yes. Wayne Simmons had 26. Kimo Timonen had 19. And what's the fight you remember? Crosby Giroux. Right. Without so, a doubt. And, and the best quote I've ever heard Sidney Crosby give, I think it was after game three, when they went down three to one, and or three to nothing, excuse me, and uh, in Philadelphia... Crosby sits, so you walk into the room, and there's sort of a, 
half square of lockers to your right. So you can see where Crosby sits. It's right near the change room. And he's sitting there. And the Pittsburgh media was kind of stunned by this point because the Penguins were down three to nothing. And so a lot of the Flyers media was asking the questions. And at one point, somebody in the Flyers media asked Crosby about Jeroen. You know, Crosby tried to be dismissive, and he's just like, nah, you know, that's just the way this series is. I don't like those guys. And one of the Flyers guys shot back, what don't you like about them? And Crosby just turned his head, looked, and kind of went, what I don't like is that I hate them. And it was the most honest answer. And somebody was like, boy, he lost his cool. I'm like, no, he really hates them. Um, Does that carry over to this day? No. I think now Sidney Crosby's like, eh, that's cute, that other team. But um, back then there was, look, I'll say this. He was bothered by this notion, false as it always has been, that there was a passing of the baton. Um, Here's the thing about, you have to understand about the Flyers and the Penguins, there's a difference. Both of their media covering them have seen silver objects. The Flyers saw a mythical silver baton. The Penguins media has actually seen the Stanley Cup. A bunch. Yes. And um, I will say this. uh, Ray Shiro, the former Penguins general manager, looked like after game six, he would have poisoned his entire roster. He was absolutely disgusted. In fact, I remember talking to him later that summer, and we were not getting along at the time, and he goes, Everybody blames Mark. I had 22 guys playing lousy in front of him. So what's that tell you? And I'm like, uh, build a better team. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't know. Like it was, but there was no rhyme or reason to that series, but it was exhausting to cover. I was so ha- The thought of a seventh game, Adam, like it was giving me panic attacks. Like, oh, please don't let this go seven. Well, Claude Drew said, F that. I ain't letting that happen. Right. When he annihilated Crosby and scored a goal on the first shift of, what, game six? But there was a sense going into that game six that the Penguins were going to win that game. In fact, another funny story about that, Adam, is I remember the lockout happened after that. And I was talking to Brooks Orpik, and he brought up, this is December, the, the hockey's still not being played. And we're having this long conversation about the lockout and everything. And uh, he goes, did I ever talk to you about that interview you gave in Canada about the Flyer series? And I'm like, no. He goes, Man, you buried us. And I'm like, I buried you. He goes, yeah, we were down 3 nothing, and you didn't even let the body get cold. You were just destroying us, talking about how we were arrogant and we were selfish and, you know, we lacked a winning discipline and a championship mindset. I'm like, yeah. I said, oh, so that didn't go over well. He goes, truth never does. Oh. Oh. Well, that's what John Tortorella had said about the Penguins, right. too. Oh, he, he was, was right. 100% that right about that. he was right. It's been stuck. Look, I'll be the first to say I've been wrong about a lot of things uh, in recent years. I've been right about a lot, too. People overlook that. But the notion that Crosby and Malkin were going to evolve into these cool, calm, collected leaders. And the irony that Phil Kessel is the one that probably brought about them a relaxed state. So that's what I wanted to ask. What changed? Oh, Phil? Phil comes in, he's like, oh, I score goals, eh? Well, I give Mike Sullivan a lot of credit. I yes. think he came in and, and changed the culture. What's fascinating about this series is these are two coaches that have completely changed the cultures of their organizations for the better. But, yes, I've always thought what Phil brought to this 
team was this living, breathing example of things are going to happen. It's okay. We can all chill. Because Phil is Phil. Like, here's the thing. If the bomb drops tomorrow, you'll want to be around Phil because he's just going to be the coolest guy in the room. And I think these guys needed to see a player who just looked they they looked at Phil with utter bemusement. Like, what what is this? You mean everything's not life and death? And they were better for it. It's insane to me still that Mike Sullivan was able to get through to these guys the way that he did. Just play is the verbiage he used, right? right. That's the mantra. That's what he's pounded in their skulls. And I'm sure at times Bilesma would say, hey, guys, Let's just play the damn game. Yeah, it wasn't that Dan wasn't delivering that message. It wasn't that Mike, Mike Johnson wasn't. I will say this. What Mike Sullivan benefited from the most was they were out of the playoffs. They had been bounced the year before, and there was nobody left to blame but them. They had gotten rid of the general manager, the old coach. They'd gone through another coach. It was getting to the point that was like, like Crosby wasn't scoring. Um, Malkin, was, Malkin was thinking about asking out. Like, it was... There's no way to keep this together. And I, I have always thought this based off my conversations with Evgeny, that that was the point where Evgeny and Sydney sort of had this, without necessarily having to say it, this come to Jesus moment of we need each other. And if we don't fix this, one of us is going to be left holding the bag. And neither one of us want to be left holding the bag of a rebuild. And so their only choice was to win. And, since then, Sydney's been the best player in the game for a team that matters because the Edmonton Oilers don't. And Evgeny's been the most you know, dominant offensive player for a team that games matter because they don't at Edmonton. That was when I thought it was done. When, when you wrote the ice cream column, Rossi, <laughs> I thought it was done. I, the way that they abused the roster yeah. with Jim Rutherford playing, having to have five defensemen dress... I didn't think that they were going to ever get back to a place where they could contend for Stanley Cups. I think the best thing that happened to them that year was that they lost in round one and it allowed Jim to take a deep breath. To be fair to Jim Rutherford, please, I hope you were rolling rolling the record. Yeah, roll this down. Yeah. To be fair to Jim Rutherford, he got hired three weeks after D-Day. Yes, and D-Day came halfway through the playoffs. They People forget, they played Game 7 in Round 2 that year. This is a guy who had never been the general manager of a salary cap team that spent. He was getting all kind of advice on what was the problem from people that had no business giving that advice. And he had to hire a coach and figure things out. Looking back, I think more people probably should have picked up on what I picked up, which is like, this is going to get worse before it gets better. But at the end of that season, it was a tire fire. And Jim took a deep breath. And I'll give Jim a lot of credit, Adam. He went into that draft wanting Phil Kessel and successfully spooked everybody else from going after Phil Kessel. And it ended up being the best trade he made. I think... Kessel's number one, Hornquist number two, and, I mean, there's been a bunch of other great ones along the way. His first offseason, the one right after he got hired, I think he did an okay job there, too, of setting the Penguins up in that he brought in a bunch of guys on one-year deals. Right. Steve Downey, and he brought in, who was it, Blake Como, guys like that. 
that at the end of the season, they were going to walk and they'd pretty much have a clean slate to bring in other players. Uh, we got to run here. We're going to come back and we got the five minute major. That's right. Me and Rossi doing the five minute major today coming up at five. And the biggest key, I think, in this series for Philadelphia to stick around, you're listening to The Crowley Show with Rob Rossi, ESPN Pittsburgh. As a marketer, you want to reach everyone. Adults, teens, millennials. But it's not like these groups all hang out in the same place, right? Actually wrong. They're all right here listening to radio commercials just like this one. Radio ads connect with 93% of Americans every week. That's more than Google, more than Facebook, more than TV. In fact, radio reaches 20% more millennials than TV. Want more of the people you want to talk to all in one place? You want to get to iHeartMedia.com and get AMFM working for you. Well, his Rossi guy doesn't know what the pause is. Yeah. He might say something offensive. I know. Uh, You're going to crush someone here. You never know when the whole thing's going to happen.